So for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, a teaching from Buddhism that is called the Three Refuges, um, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. If you've not been here, um, I'll try to give a one-liner for each. Um, and first, the idea of taking refuge is a beautiful, beautiful teaching. Um, it's this understanding that within our own being, we have refuge always available, always within us. Um, refuge is that safe haven in the midst of danger. And we carry this possibility of refuge anywhere, everywhere, all moments of our life. It's, it's um, the work is waking up and opening up to its presence already here. And Buddha, Dharma, Sangha are three, uh, in, in Buddhism called the three jewels, um, three places that refuge is always available. So I'm not teaching, I'm not offering this from the standpoint of like a scholarly Buddhist understanding. I'm offering it from the standpoint of what this teaching means to me and has meant to me for many years as it continues to change and grow um, and deepen for me. So taking refuge in the Buddha, uh, for me that is the knowing that there was this real living, breathing person 2,600 years ago who was able to look and examine the roots of suffering and the relief of suffering to such an extent that we're still talking about those teachings now. It is my experience in meeting Mother Teresa, in meeting Thich Nhat Hanh, and palpably feeling that possibility that we humans have of understanding suffering and the release, relief of suffering at such profoundly different levels that it changes like our energetic feel, a palpable feel for others. That that is here as our birthright to me is a, a remarkable possibility and a place to take refuge. Taking ref and I said one-liner, that certainly obviously wasn't one-liner. I'm gonna try. Uh, so taking refuge in Sangha, this is the one we started with actually. My favorite translation of the Pali word Sangha is beloved community. And that understanding that there is something that is essential about meeting, sitting, practicing, being with others who are orienting in this direction of healing of wisdom, of love, of compassion, that we need, um, and I think of it this way, that neurologically, we need that resonance of support in being with others, which is why for so many people, sitting at home by themselves becomes stale, and sitting in a group is what keeps it alive. So last week, we started looking at taking refuge in the Dharma, uh, and I wanna continue that if you weren't here last week, I'm going to try to say a little bit about this word dharma. When I first learned the word dharma, like years ago, probably back in a college class with Buddhism 101 college class, the first definition I heard was the teaching of the Buddha, the teachings of the Buddha. And I thought, okay, 
got it. Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, easy. <laughs> and then I started reading Dharma means this, Dharma means this, Dharma means this. And I was like, oh my gosh, now wait a minute, what? <laughs> what does it mean? And it then took me a long time and a lot of processing different ways of looking at that word to really finally um, start to get what I understand as that word dharma. And I have to say, you know, there's part of me that has some sad, not some sadness, that is sad. There is no equivalent in English for this word. It doesn't exist. And that, to me, points at a sort of fracturedness in a worldview that doesn't have a word for dharma. Um, uh, so I think reckoning with this word is very important. It's very key. The way I now understand the word dharma is as an underlying inherent wholeness in everything that's always here. And where is not manifesting outward is that most superficial level that we often live solely in and we don't see and we don't think about. But underneath it all is this remarkable mystery of wholeness. And in that way, the, the definition, the Dharma as the teachings of the Buddha makes sense. Because that's what this person we call the Buddha um, understood was there is a wholeness in all things. And if you align yourself in that flow, you feel better. Suffering diminishes. If you are not aligned in that flow of wholeness, you suffer. It hurts. It causes pain. That's, that's kind of the root teaching there. Taking refuge in the Dharma therefore means I can be as crazy as I might be in any given moment, which happens, <laughs> um, sometimes more often than I wish, uh, and there is always this possibility of reorienting in the direction of wholeness that is refuge available, no matter how off track I get. It's still there, and it's still open, and it's still available to come back to again and again. So I want to share the poem that um, we used in our meditation today and a little backdrop as to why this poem for me this week really hit home. Recently, I have been making a series of personal choices that <laughs> have really brought up a fair amount of stress and questions about my own sanity. Um, like, oh my gosh, 
really? Like, am I, am I crazy? What am I doing? Oh, just name your flavor of, of self-incrimination and judgment uh, and, and toss it in there and you got the mix. I don't often now like really step down that rabbit hole, but it does happen. That ground can still open up and whoosh, down I went. And it was really helpful to come back to what we were going to talk about, taking refuge in the Dharma. And for me, when I sat down with that, it was like, ah, oh yeah. I know why I made the choices I made. And at a superficial level, they may seem crazy. But at another level, they were the only thing I could do. And I, I knew there was some point that would speak to it. So, you know, like I had this great big long file on my computer that anytime any poem speaks to me, I just toss it into that file. And every now and then I just read through the file. And sometimes I find a poem in there I haven't seen in a while. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. I saw this poem. It was like, oh, that's it right there. So for me, this is a form of understanding, taking refuge in the Dharma. It is nonsense, says reason. It is what it is, says love. It is calamity, says calculation. It is nothing but pain, says fear. It is hopeless, says insight. It is what it is, says love. It is ludicrous, says pride. It is foolish, says caution. It is impossible, says experience. It is what it is, says love. Can you feel what that poem is pointing to? It's that place where we know an obvious brightness. We feel it. Even when so much of the other information around us is going, oh, no, not right. We still, we like, know that place and it can be you know kind of like the bigger life life choices that kind of were in front of me a little bit um, over the last few weeks um, or it can be as mundane as do I eat that brownie or not you know it really it, it, it doesn't matter there is a sort of flow that is available to step into with all moments of each choice point in life that either is in alignment or not. The metaphor I used last week um, that I find very beautiful is water, a spring at the top of a mountain. Water comes out. Water always, always always this is the dharma another translation is a certain lawfulness of things water always finds the most efficient way 
down the mountain. And that's never mechanical. It's, it's, it's a living movement through things that has the, mo the path of the greatest possibility of ease. And what to me is so stunning that we, we sort of bypass all the time is that we can know that. We can feel that. My guess is that if we really went around and took a poll, everyone knew something about the truth of that point of when you have known a rightness that overrode all other information. That's taking refuge in the Dharma. The interesting thing is, though, even though that is always there, it is so easily overridden. And when we have a culture that is just like flinging in our face, yes, you want that chocolate cake and you want to watch Walking Dead while you eat that chocolate cake. Um, you know, like it's like in our face all the time. That, that knowing of what's where the right flow is, is very easily lost. And so we have to practice with it. We have to pay attention. What does it feel like? when I do this thing or when I don't do this thing? What's the information I get? Claire's class, Unwinding Anxiety, that's just using this inherent knowing. And I don't, in the example of Walking Dead, I read, I read two, well, Walking Dead first and then another example um, reminded me of this that came up in uh, the last couple of weeks. When the show first came out, it was, as I'm sure you all know, it was like this huge overnight sensation and success. And at the end of one season, one of the main actors that actually survived the year, the season, at the end of the season was alive, chose not to come back for season two. And there was all of this, um, oh my gosh, why would she walk away? from success. And the only thing I saw about it was a tiny little blurb about why she walked away. And, and in it, she said, I recognize that showing up on set to film an entire season of that show was making me mentally unhealthy. It wasn't worth my well-being to continue to be a part of it. That's taking refuge in the Dharma. The thing that reminded me of that example, a couple of weeks ago, the Washington Post had an article that said, um, this was the title of it, why some long-term fans of true crime are quitting this genre for good. And um, I thought I would just share the first two paragraphs of the article. When Paige Scariano saw her neighbor's car still parked on the street after many days, she spiraled. Have they been murdered? Should I go check on them? She grew more agitated, convincing herself that her neighbors were victims of a grisly crime. They were, in fact, on vacation. But Scariano realized her unfounded fears about her neighbors rose from a sense of anxiety and paranoia. 
After examining her habits, one stood out as part of the problem, her near constant consumption of true crime. She quit the genre cold turkey for New Year's resolution, replacing her many listening hours of true crime podcasts with music. She found her mental state improved after several months. That's taking refuge in the Dharma. Uh, if you've done any Buddhist practice or gone on a Buddhist retreat, you've likely done a formal recitation of the three vows of taking refuge in the Dharma, taking, refu taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And a lot of people um, do that. It's an interesting practice at the start of a retreat and then don't remember it. Um, or if they do remember it, it might um, be the Sangha, and yes, I do need to find a community to practice in. And what's, what's really transformational is when we understand the depth of this teaching that's available at all moments throughout a life. Um, when it is hard not to do that thing that has that, that buzz, that wants, that craving, that energy, like I just kind of want to get into the messiness of it. Taking refuge of the, in the Dharma is what helps me remember what I really care about and maybe step back and choose something different. Or I'm making the choice that I know I have to make, but I'm just plagued by doubts of what I'm doing. Taking refuge in the Dharma is what allows me to see the wisdom of that choice. So last week I did a short guided meditation on this. And I think I'm just going to do it again. Because I think the teaching becomes most alive when we can feel its practical palpableness, that its, its truth is a bodily knowing that's available to us. So let's do a short meditation together. I invite you to take a few breaths in and out and feel into the body sitting here, sounds of the room. Feel into how your showing up is taking refuge in the Dharma. That we might not use this phrase, and if this phrase itself doesn't speak to you, no problem. Find a phrase that points to this inherent wholeness that does speak to you. And then use it as a compass, as a reorienter. We all already know something about this or we wouldn't be sitting here in this circle right now. So just take a moment to appreciate that your compass is already working. You do have some attunement already in this direction. That in our society is no small thing. 
and is worthy of being appreciated. Then I invite you to bring to mind some small trigger for you, not your big thing, but some small thing. I often use the example of driving on Independence Boulevard in five o'clock traffic. And if that is a big thing, don't use that. <laughs> but whatever your equivalent is of, yeah, this gets my goat. And I can work with it. To bring that scenario up for you, when you are not being mindful, when you're not taking refuge, when you're maybe a little pissed at the whole thing, and let yourself for a moment feel that feeling. What happens in your body? What's the nature of your thoughts? What's the energy and the feltness of your thoughts when they are in that direction? Notice if your tendency is to get hyper aroused, like you go to the angry place, or hypo aroused. And you kind of go to this, I give off. When that's happening, what's going on with the muscles in your hands? What does it feel like in your belly? Your torso? And then take a couple of nice deep in and out breaths. You're in that same scenario, and you just remembered your version of taking refuge in the Dharma. Just remembered that, ah, right here is what I want to pay attention to, because I care about my freedom, because I have compassion for my own well-being. Because driving down Independence Boulevard with my hands clenched and my thoughts racing in an anger storm really is not very useful. <laughs> so maybe if the hands are tight, physically soften them. Purposefully bring up compassion for this being human. For myself. If I have the wherewithal, maybe I bring up compassion for that person that just cut me off. Often hear, well, they might have been on the way to the hospital to see their grandmother who was just about to die. Yeah, they might have been, but more likely they probably weren't. <laughs> they were probably just habituated in driving just like that. And that energy that they went flying by me and cut me off didn't feel good. And when I see it that way, I have a natural compassion for them living their life in that mode. And if that's not available to me at this moment, no problem. 
just come back to compassion. And what do you notice? Not a magic wand, not a perfect fix. When something has changed, what is it in your own mind, body, and heart that's different? And how does this too teach you something about taking refuge in the Dharma? In the way things are. And that there is a way that the water of our own body, mind, and hearts, our own spiritual self, flows with more ease and well-being. 